Well, good morning again, everyone. I want to say hello and greetings to you in this room and hello to those of you who are joining us by video right now. You're in our traditional sanctuary or joining us online. And I'm really glad that you're here so that we all have this opportunity together to grow and learning some important stuff in this series that we are calling Ancestry.Church. We're learning some of the old, old stories of our community, of our people from some of the oldest parts of the Old Testament. I want to invite you as we're reading the Bible together today, we read the Bible together every week. And as we're going to do that, if you have a Bible with you, now is a convenient time to take it out. And if you have a tablet or phone and want to open your Bible app, you can do that. Or if you'd like to borrow a Bible during this service, our ushers are going to come to the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave at them or flag them down somehow. And you can borrow that during this service and then just stick that back on the shelf in the back of one of our worship venues after worship today. And it'll be a few minutes before we're actually reading it, but if you'd like to find your page, we're going to be reading in the very first book of the Bible, super easy to find, open the front cover and turn a couple pages in. We're in the book of Genesis, and the first reading we're going to share is going to be in Genesis chapter 12. It's on page 18 of those Quest Bibles, if that's what you're getting right now. So we're doing this series called Ancestry.Church, and that got me thinking about some of the ancestry of our families. I was thinking about the ancestry of my own family. On my, on my dad's side of my family, my grandfather's name is William Robert Turnbull. William Robert Turnbull was the son of David, who was the son of John Thomas. And David and John Thomas were coal miners. Then my grandfather, William Robert, grew up in a coal mining town in southeastern Ohio, kind of in the Appalachian foothills in southeastern Ohio. They were of German and Scottish descent, kind of a common ancestry for that region. And they were hardworking, hardscrabble people. And my grandfather met uh, Margaret from another town nearby, and Bill and Margaret fell in love, got married. They moved to another town, had kids. My grandfather himself did not grow up as a coal miner. Instead, he had a variety of jobs in manufacturing and management. He worked in a safety office in an electric plant for a while. One of the things I remember learning about my grandfather was that over the years of raising a family, he often had two jobs. One of the things that he did to try to make ends meet and provide for his family, he and a buddy, they, made a, they created a little small business, and they were installing uh, high-powered TV antennas on people's roofs. I don't know if you guys remember these or not, but they are like real tall, and they're made of three posts in a triangular column going way up in the air. And if you had the, like, the thing on your TV, the box, you could turn it and go click, 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 click. This is like in the ancient times for some of you, like just old times, right? You remember this stuff, right? Okay. So this is my grandfather, a hardworking guy, and I, I learned his stories. On my mom's side, my mom's family immigrated here to the United States in 1951 from German and Latvian backgrounds. So on my mom's side, I'm the first generation born here in the U.S. My grandpa, my mom's dad, Nikolai Kratowskis, is of Latvian uh, extraction. He grew up on a farm outside of Riga, Latvia, in the countryside outside of Riga. When they moved here, they went through some experiences that I think would probably have broken most of us, myself included. They went through some pretty tough stuff. I'm going to skip over most of that in the interest of time today. Eventually, that family, though broken up, was reunited, and they settled in a blue-collar neighborhood on the near west side of Cleveland, Ohio. And my grandpa, Nikolai, worked as a maintenance man in a nearby manufacturing plant. He, uh, uh, in fact, walked to work most of his life, never had a car. When they moved a little farther away to the bus to work, he worked there. His two sons, my uncles, uh, Peter and Alex, my grandmother, their mom, always called me by their names before she ever remembered my own. So I think as a kid, I thought my name was Alex Peter Stephen. <laughs> so I feel very close to them in that way. That's my uncles. Uh, one of them was a boiler operator for the Ford Motor Company in the power plant in Cleveland. And the other one was a print shop operator, some other jobs throughout his life. These were hardworking people. And that's part of my story. 
And then about a year ago, my mom bought me the T-shirt that I'm wearing today. I got to tell you something about Cleveland, Ohio to explain this shirt. So in Cleveland, we have a, we have a, a, tur- a skyscraper, old school skyscraper, that's kind of like the Fauche Tower of Cleveland, okay? So it's not the tallest building in Cleveland anymore. It's called the Terminal Tower because of a railroad terminal underneath. On the east side of downtown, there's a spot where the highway really bends onto the lakeshore. That's called Dead Man's Curve. A lot of people probably have a Dead Man's Curve in their town. And it is right there on the shore of Lake Erie. So I'm going to take my jacket off and show you this T-shirt. My mom bought me this T-shirt a year ago. And it says on here, Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio, where the lake is eerie, the curve is deadly, the tower is terminal. And down here in the fine print, it says, and the work ethic is killer. All right. All right. These are my people, okay? This is sort of ancestry.me or something like that, ancestry.church, okay? That's, this is not ancestry.church. This is ancestry. This is my family ancestry. You guys have stories in your families too, right? We could all tell these stories. And, and we have stories in our families. Some of them are encouraging and constructive and helpful and inspiring. We have stories in our families that are not always constructive and helpful and encouraging and inspiring, and that's true for all of us. These are the stories that I was raised on, right? These are the stories that I heard, and they shaped my imagination. They shaped my thought world, my imagination of what it is to grow up and be a grown-up and be responsible, and they shaped my imagination of what conflicts it is we face in life and what a successful life looks like. And again, you've heard stories like that in your family, stuff that shapes your imagination of what life is supposed to be about and what relationships are like and what constitutes a successful life, and we could go on and on about this stuff. Today's Father's Day, right, in particular. So some of you have had experiences of fathers in your lives that are inspiring and constructive, and some of us have experiences that are less so, right? There are a lot of things we've learned from our dads. There's probably some things at some point in life from lessons in all of our families or our dads that we realize later on, that was something I learned that now I have to unlearn, right? So I'm a dad, right? I know there's probably a lot of dads with us in worship today. So like the two greatest joys of my life are 12 years old and 10 years old. They're sitting right down there right now. I'm a dad, and one of the things I know is that they're learning things from me, right? I mean, dads, we're shaping the stories of, of our kids, and probably a lot of us are just working real hard. We're trying to put more stuff in the learn column than in the unlearn column, right? <laughs> and sometime from now, 10, 20 years from now, we'll find out whether that worked out or not, but that's what we're going for. But I don't want to talk to you today just about the ancestry of our families, our individual families, those kind of stories, or even our larger communities, right? We're in this series that's called Ancestry.Church. And the stories that we're learning from these ancient stories from our history, these are the stories that we're learning, that we're hearing, and they shape our imaginations, and they shape our minds, and they shape our understanding of what it is to grow up and be responsible and be in community and be in relationship, what conflicts we face in life and what it is what it looks like to live a successful life. And we started last week learning the story of a couple named Abram and Sarai, or we call them mostly Abraham and Sarah because that's what their names get changed to later on. That's kind of the familiar names. And and we heard last week the story of how they were living way out in the kind of northwestern Persian wilderness or maybe in the fertile valleys watered by the rivers over there. And God called out to them in the midst of a broken world, In the story from the Bible of a world that started out all good and beautiful and perfect, but got spoiled and poisoned and broken by sin, that God called out to some human beings, called out to them and said, I want to be your God. I'm going to make you a people, and I'm going to bless you. And those who bless you, I'm going to bless. Those who curse you, I'm going to curse. I'm going to make you into a great nation. But through you, 
I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. Through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the world. This is my world creation recovery project, right? I made this creation, and it broke, but I'm bringing it back. Through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the world. And God makes this, comp, this promise, this covenant, this call to Abraham and Sarah. And in courage, they pick up stakes. They pull up stakes from where they are. They're from a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Wouldn't that be a cool town to be from? I got Cleveland. They got Ur of the Chaldeans. Some of you may have read about the Chaldeans in the news just this last week. I don't know if you saw the story or not, but there's a group of Chaldean Christians. So that, that area of the world is now called Iraq. And they're from the, these Chaldean Christians. There's a community of them in Detroit, and they're facing the danger of deportation right now. It's, it's a tragic story. But they are from the same area. This is the same people that God called Abram and Sarai from thousands and thousands of years ago. And Abraham and, Abram and Sarai, they demonstrate this great courage and faith, and they hear God's word, and they pick up, they move, and they, they move into the land of modern-day Israel. And we're going to pick up their story here in just a minute after this heroic beginning of great courage and find out that not all stories are perfect all the time, right? These are the inspiring, constructive, encouraging stories, but we should tell the truth and read the other ones too. So I want to share with you a different episode in the story by way of getting started today. And this is Genesis chapter 12. If you can turn there with me. If you're in your Quest Bibles, that's uh, page 18 in our Quest Bibles. And after, turn there with me right now, and after Abraham and Sarah move across the wilderness, they settle in the South Judean desert called the Negev, and now we pick up this episode of what happens next. It says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram and Sarai together went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Let me show you a map for a second. This is a picture of where they were living. This is the area, they moved into the Israeli wilderness in the south area, kind of where it says the word Israel on that map right there. You can see the, a lot of the modern nation names, Lebanon in the north, Jordan over here, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, all that stuff. They were living kind of in the south part of Israel and Palestine, and there's a famine in that area. So they decided to walk across the Sinai Peninsula over into Egypt. Whether it was rainier there or not, I don't know, but the Nile River waters the delta, the, the Nile Delta in Egypt, and they found a place where it was more fertile land and they wouldn't suffer the effects of the famine. Verse 11, I'll keep reading to you now. As he was about to enter Egypt, he, Abram, said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Okay, that was a good start, right? <laughs> it, it goes downhill from there. <laughs> when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, by the way, is the name for the king of Egypt. And she was taken into his palace. And he treated Abram well for her sake. Good for Abram, right? Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. <laughs> Get out of here, right? Man, that story bugs me. I don't, that story bothers me six ways from Sunday. 
We got all these stories of Abraham and Sarah's courage in the previous verses, just earlier in this chapter, and there'll be more to come, stories of their courageous faith. Let me come to this story of despicable cowardice. Abraham's willing to just hurt somebody else, to put somebody else at risk. And not, I mean, it's bad enough when it's just anybody else. That's never right. But his own wife, he just sacrifices her for his safety, for his security. I'm glad they survived their sojourn in Egypt. But man, that is not a story in Abram's life that I am proud of, right? And we see this vacillation, this swinging back and forth between courage and cowardice, between faithfulness and sin, between love for others and response to God, and then selfishness and rebellion and sin. And in that way, I think that Abram and Sarai both become characters that we probably have a lot in common with. And if I asked you, you don't have to answer out loud, of course, but if I said, do you have those moments in life that you're pretty proud of? Like, do you have the moments of victory? Do you have the the heroic acts of faith, even one or two somewhere, some courage, some things that if, if you wanted to brag, this is what you would talk about? Do you also have those other things that we are not going to talk about out loud, you know? Do you have those moments that you would like other people not to know about? Those choices you've made, those attitudes you embrace, those things that you do or that you say when no one is looking or no one that you know is listening, those things that you hope nobody ever finds out about? I mean, if that's you, if you have that, I guess what I want to say to you is, welcome to the family. (laughs) This is our identity. These are our people. These are our stories. And fortunately for us, I guess, unfortunately for Abraham, the stuff in his life that was like that got written down in explicit detail in the world's best-selling book ever, right? I sort of feel for him a little bit in that regard. But I want to tell you where God comes back into his story here. If you'll skip forward with me just a couple pages to Genesis chapter 15. If you're in the Quest Bibles, this is on page 20. And uh, we're going to kind of read through here, read a few verses, but just one verse at first. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, God kind of continues to communicate with, re-enters Abraham's story. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. You know, fear is one of those things that makes us do stupid things, Right? And that's what Abram did there in Egypt. He made a really bad choice because of his fear. God engages Abram's life at that relevant point. Don't be afraid. I'm still with you. We're still going to do this thing. I'm going to keep my promise. And then Abram responds to God in, I think, a really wise way. God says, don't be afraid. And so Abram goes, here's what I'm afraid of, God. So he tells God the truth, right? So let's read these verses now, verses 2 and 3. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, right? You're, You're almighty, sovereign Lord, What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. You know, people who want to have children and can't have children, that is a tragedy in many of our lives, right? And that's hard enough on its own. For Abram and Sarai, this was multiplied because this was exactly what God had promised them. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you children and grandchildren and, great, and make of you a great nation. And Abram, in this story, he and his wife are pushing 100 years old. And he's raising his hand over here going, God, <laughs> right here. Not working out so well, right? Not, he's experiencing some doubt and some fear that God's word to him is good, right? That God will keep the promise that God has made to him. I think that's a great example for us to follow. That when we hear the promise of God to us, that we will respond with honesty. That we'll respond with 
authenticity, that we'll respond in prayer, talk to God, and say, this is, my, this is my problem, that we would tell the truth about ourselves to ourselves, maybe share it in community with one another. He tells the truth. And then I want you to hear again now, this is how God responds. We're going to read verses 4 through 9 right now. Then, in response to this, the word of the Lord came to him. God's word spoke to Abram, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir, right, just as I promised you. And he, God, took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them, which, as Erica said, is not hard in the city, but in the ancient Judean wilderness, it's innumerable, right, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It's going to be that many, from zero to practically an infinite number. Abram believed the Lord. He heard a promise, and he trusted it. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. You're going to have this great nation, and it's going to be right here. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And in the episode that follows, I'm going to tell you what happens with those animals. It's kind of this ancient ritual. What, the, what Abram does is takes these animals and, like a butcher would do, cuts them in half and puts half of each carcass on the side of a pathway. And then Abram kind of has a vision of God walking or, yeah, moving through the middle of these carcasses. That makes sense to you, right? <laughs> so, yeah, me too, right? So it's actually, there's a little bit of historical mystery about this, but the best evidence that we have would suggest that this was an ancient ritual for making a covenant, for making an agreement or a treaty or something like that between people. And the symbol seems to have meant something like, may something like this happen to me if I don't keep my word to you, right? So it's like an oath, like a blood oath, like blood brother, something like that. Let, it, let this happen to me before I would ever break my promise to you. And it's staggering to think that like the God of all creation would do something like that, right? Would say, I'm so in on this promise that I would use this to communicate to you like that. And one other thing about this passage that I think is important to explain is the use of this word covenant. We've used that word a little bit here. And it's a word that you may be familiar with like from some real estate and legal context. I want to explain kind of how it's used in, in this context, what it means in, in these stories of our ancestry. You might begin by thinking of covenant as something like a contract, right, where we make an agreement between two people and it's a binding agreement. And that's a good place to start, but, but it goes beyond that because a contract is like a 50-50 deal, right? Like here are my obligations and here are your obligations, and as long as we both keep up our obligations, then the other person has to keep up their end of the deal also, right? So if we make a contract together and I do what I'm supposed to do, then you are contractually obliged to do what you're supposed to do. But if I renege on my stuff, then you're released from your contractual obligations, right? 50-50 deal. But a, but a covenant, in this context at least, is different. It's more of a 100-100 kind of deal, right? Where God says, this is my obligations. This is my promise. This is what I'm going to do, period, <laughs> right? Not if you do something else. This is what I'm going to do. And now in response to that, this is what you're going to do responding to me, right? So God is saying, I'm going, I've called you together. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the world. Full stop. <laughs> That's what I'm going to accomplish. And in response to that, I'm in, I will be faithful to this word. And Abram and Sarai and everybody else, I'm inviting you to be faithful in response 
to my faithfulness, right? That's God's covenant. It's more like a hundred hundred kind of deal. And this is exactly how it plays out in the stories that come from Abram and Sarai and Abraham and Sarah and all their descendants. Over the course of the next few chapters, we're going to read some of these in the following weeks. We see Abram doing what we've already seen. Great acts of courage and faith and heroic stories. And then these other things that are not so heroic and faithful and abandoned, you know, and all full of cowardice. He swings back and forth. And that's what happens through the story of the Old Testament, chapter after chapter, book after book. The story of this great nation becomes a story of people who in some ways are a light of revelation to the world, who reveal God to the world by their faith and their worship and their obedience, and then also not so much. And just the story kind of goes back and forth. That's a story of God's people. It's in many ways a story of our lives to this day. But all throughout that, God has said, this is what I'm going to do, full stop. And a couple thousand years later, a couple thousand years after the events of Abraham and Sarah's lives, there is born among them, born among this nation, one whose name we now know as Jesus, or Yeshua, which meant God saves. God saves his people. God saves his people from their sin. God saves his world. And it is in Jesus that God makes good, that God becomes fully trustworthy in this promise that he made to them that I will bless you and I'll make of you a great nation and through you I will bless and save all the families of the world and Jesus becomes the one who is Lord of all nations and Savior of the world and this God who spoke to Abram in this this weird ritual with these broken and sacrificed bodies visits his people in the human person of Jesus who somehow beyond comprehension allows his own body to be sacrificed and broken for us And so it is in him that God's word comes to us, most of whom I think are not in any way biologically related to Abraham. We are not his physical descendants. Yet it is in Jesus that God's word comes to us, to all of us, related or not related, broken or not. God's word comes to us and says, you are my family. You are my family. I love you. And you are my people. And this is God's word in Christ to us. And that gives us a new identity. Hey, Evangel, could you toss me that shirt right there? You look nervous. Toss me that shirt. There you go. Thank you. All right. Here you go. So now we have a new, a new family ancestry to put on. Let me just do this. For- Let's do that again. Now we hear this promise from God in Jesus. And you know how you respond to a promise? When you, how do you respond to a promise from somebody who is trustworthy? You trust it, right? You trust it. You, you stake your life on that. You say, I believe you. I trust you. I will go that way. And when we hear God's word to us say, this is your ancestry, this is your people, you're in my family, our values say Jesus makes us family, we didn't make that up on our own, this is what God has said to us. I think when we exercise that trust, it calls forth from us two kinds of responses, right? I talked to you about the characteristic of my family, right? Right down here, the whole work ethic is killer. More important than that is the identity that comes with being part of the family of God. And here's two practices, I think, that come from our trusting in God's promise by which he makes us his family. The first one is we get to live in the truth. We get to tell the truth. I want to encourage you to tell the truth about yourself, about your own story. In our family, we are not a people who have to fake it, right? We don't have to come into church and pretend we got it all together. And if we have a family, it's happy clappy all the time. And we're all so courageous and great and fruitful and peaceful and joyful all the time, right? I mean, you had a fight in the car on the way here. I know at least half of you probably did, right? I mean, that's how it is, right? And I know people, I've had people in my life who said to me that they're not ready to go to church. I can't do that because I don't have my life together yet. 
I'm like, oh, man, this is the place for you. I'll tell you what, right? There is no church full of people who have their lives together who would ever let me be pastor of it, right? So <laughs> it's not the kind of people we are. We can tell the truth about it, okay? We don't got to fake it. That's so toxic. It's so, so hard when we got to pretend that we're fine when we're not. On the other hand, I also hear people who say I don't want to go to church, not because they all have their lives together, but because the church is all full of hypocrites. Like, I'm actually more authentic than that. I saw a guy recently said, people complain the church is full of hypocrites. That's not true. There's always room for more, right? We're, <laughs> we're not full yet, right? I think that's, that's probably true. It is characteristic, or it should be characteristic. We are called into the characteristic of this family that we are people who don't have to fake it. We can tell the truth. And in our worship and in our prayer, we tell God the truth about ourselves. We're invited to, given that gift of honesty. You know, in fact, I kind of wonder about myself. Would I have the courage, would I be able, would I have the capacity to look as deeply into my own brokenness, into what's so messed up inside my heart, if I didn't already know that at the end of that journey, God says, I love you anyway, you know? And so it's that truth that God has said, I love you, you're my children, you're in my family, that enables us, that empowers us to tell the truth. So we can tell God the truth, and in telling God the truth, we're finally able to tell ourselves the truth. We can stop hiding from ourselves, and we can be real with one another in community. So we're a family that doesn't have to fake it, right? And then you know what else that does? Kind of the second response that that first one creates is that it allows us to begin to take steps toward healing. It begins us, it, it allows us to begin to take steps toward goodness, steps toward wholeness, steps toward holiness, right? Let me ask you this. Let me, let me ask you to consider this question. What's your Egypt? Abram, in the story we read today, had an Egypt. He had a place in his life, he had an episode in his past that was really pretty embarrassing, that was pretty hurtful. That's something that I bet he did not want us to keep on reading 4,000 years later, right? What's your Egypt? What's the thing that's part of your past or part of your present? Oftentimes, it's both of those things. It's a place or it's a place in your life. It's an attitude. It's an action. It's a choice. It's a way of relating. It's something you do that maybe people know about because they see it or maybe they don't. What's your Egypt? What's your Egypt? And as you, in the coming moments of worship that we share in both of our worship venues and prayer and worship, you can tell God the truth about that and say, this is that place in my life. I know about it. And it's been happening for people in our family for a long, long time. This is it. And you can also not only tell God the truth about it, but invite God's spirit in your life. Invite God's power in your life to begin a work of healing from it, to empower you to begin to take steps away from it and to walk towards something else, to walk into what God has for you, to walk into goodness instead. And I just want to be straight with you and I want to be honest you're probably going to mess it up again tomorrow, okay? Like, it doesn't mean you're not going to stumble again. It doesn't mean you're not going to trip. It doesn't mean there's an expectation that you're going to be perfect from now on. Man, if I taught you that, we'd wreck the whole thing, wouldn't we? But, but by inviting God's spirit into our lives, by trusting his promise, by cooperating with his work, it's my prayer that we could begin to choose courage over cowardice a little bit more. That we could begin to walk a little bit toward goodness and a little bit away from our Egypt and step by step beginning to see the work that God's spirit does in our lives. He creates this community of his people as his power works among us. And then tomorrow or the next day or whenever it is that you trip and fall and stumble again, and it'll happen to me too. It's, it's in our family story, right? It's sort of in our DNA. In our family on this side of eternity, that's gonna happen. But when that happens, you, you have some advantages. You will know, I hope beyond the shadow of a doubt, and I'm telling you, we have God's word on this, that you are loved by God anyway. You will know that you are loved by God. 
that you have a community and a family of grace to belong to, and that you can get back up off the mat one more time and continue to live in God's grace and in his healing power. That's what it is to be in our family. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you are good when we are not. We thank you for these stories that are written down for us from our family history, the ones that are heroic and inspiring and examples for us to follow, and for the ones that are relentlessly candid about the failures of our heroes. Thank you for those two. And God, we, we do tell you the truth about ourselves, that we know what's going on. You already know. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would come into our hearts, that you would come into our lives and our minds and our imaginations, our sense of ourselves. that you would come into our relationships and our community and that you would begin to do your healing work, that you would reassure us of your word, of your promise of love and grace for us in Jesus Christ, whose body was broken for us. And that as you reassure us of who we are and whose we are in you, that you would begin your healing work in us and cause us to look more and more like your family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.